This podcast is proudly brought to you by the new term at fxphd.com with new Nuke, RealFlow, Houdini, Mayer, Cinema 4D, Previs and much, much more. Check it out now at fxphd.com and take your career to the next level. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week, we're going to be covering a bunch of stuff, including our Red Room interview with uh, uh, Russell Carpenter from the uh, film Jobs. This is a point we, uh, an interview we mentioned last week on the show. We're really looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's a terrific interview. We're also going to be covering uh, the fact that uh, a bunch of stuff is shipping, some other stuff isn't shipping, and uh, <laughs> people that were with companies that are shipping aren't with them anymore. All of this and more as we uh, delve deep here into the RC, where we see our role is to mine the news, filter the blogs, and of course, discuss some very uh, intellectual and uh, classical rat holes. Uh, this, is all mm, the camera tech, <laughs> this is all the camera tech that Jason and I are discussing, arguing and ranting and raving about, and of course... Uh, about, repeating we, ourselves about... We welcome you to the conversation. We want you to be a part of it. So here we are. Jason, you're joining me this week by Skype from... My, my computer told me you're in Prague, but you're not, apparently. No, I am not. My computer is wrong. I need to update that. I don't know how you do that, but I'll work that out. I'll work that out. How are you, my friend? Good. I think I just changed it. There you go. Okay. Um, I'm good. Very good. Thank you. Just busy just putting a few things together, a few little shoots here and there, and cutting stuff I've done, and yeah... Bits and pieces, sort of all in transition, and yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. I am just lots back of scrappy little bits of news. And how are you going? I'm good. I'm just back from a week of intensive filming uh, in Canada and America. In a seven-day period, I did 26 interviews, and three or four different countries and four or five different cities. Uh, so that was kind of fun. A lot of wow. lot of all shooting on 5D Mark threes but with some really nice um help from various cinematographers in various cities so that was good fun excellent yeah just 5d mark three didn't you say you were shooting on something else a moment ago i had 5d mark th- oh you're just okay i'll, I'll talk about that in one second head. i was dig- <laughs> yeah i was shooting on mark threes i was also shooting on gopro and other stuff for behind the scenes stuff and what jason is referring to there is i found myself out walking one morning in vancouver on a sunday when they'd lost my bags and uh I was just nothing to do and I was just walking around and it was like really early and I went to have coffee after I had coffee. I didn't have anything to do. Didn't have anything to wear. Didn't have anything to shoot with. But I had my iPad with me and I found myself shooting uh, shots around Vancouver down near uh, Yale Town, which is, Jason, a very nice area down on the water. Historical kind of funky, cool area with lots of restaurants. Cool. And I was shooting on my iPad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. You were, you were, yeah, you were that guy. <laughs> I was that guy, and you know, I, I did. I was quite cruel in, um, in you know, joking about a couple of things, including, um, well, I'm not joking about them. I was just being dismissive of shooting on the iPad, and uh, it is your favourite tool, I think. It's not my favourite tool. I will say that the the uh, what is it the Iographer or the Iographer or Iographer, Iographer, Dave, Dave Basalto's Mo- yeah uh, thing is actually I think thing. about to ship. It's shipping the week of the ninth of the ninth, so that's this uh, week, isn't it? Yes, it is for sixty-five dollars. Yeah. So I take it back. It actually, is wrong. if I'd had that, I would have been better off than I was uh, just shooting with my iPad alone, my iPad Mini. But I, look, here's the thing. And leaving that aside for a second. So um, let's actually back it up and say what one of these things is Iographer. So actually, if you go to iographer.com, I think it might be. Uh, it's basically one of those sort of 
it's like a cage for an iPad which lets you bolt like lens adapters on and gives you handles and hot shoes and maybe uh, I guess it does audio some sort of audio interface and and lots of you know hot shoes everywhere to put lights and things on it look for a lot of people you know like that's even maybe say just the NAB crowd or people who are doing just educational or maybe some corporate use this could be quite good because then I guess you undock it and then you've immediately got all your files on something then I guess as a device you can then I guess you can then just email it to somebody well, if you want I, to. I, I suppose. offer my sincere apologies to Dave for not taking it more seriously. And I tell you what, I'm not the only one. We got back and I showed this footage because we wanted to do a montage of Vancouver for a story on FX Guide TV. Mm-hmm. And we're going to use the footage because I've got Excellent. to say, it's remarkably good. <laughs> Ah, oh dear. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got this 1920 by 1080 5D Mark III with, you know, L-series lenses on it shooting, uh, what, would that set me back? A few, at least, you know, four or five grand, right? And here's my little iPad, and it's producing remarkably good pictures. Well, which is no good to you if uh, somebody, I'm going to say, American Airlines loses your bags. It was, in fact, Alaskan Airlines that lost uh, my bags from Vancouver. It was yes, however, American Airlines that stranded me out of San Francisco. It was Qantas that stranded me out of LAX. It was American Airlines that stranded me in um, Miami, I think, on my way out to Santiago. and We lost three connecting flights and two cannot-be-recreated shoot days. But anyway, I but am, I think I am now, everything stems out of LAX. It was all 42 the hours to get home. 42 hours. And that included eight hours at LAX on the first night. That's the problem. That's and the problem. All the of the world's issues, including Syria, global warming, everything, Boy bands, everything. Can, be, <laughs> can be traced back to LAX. LAX. And you know what? So I've just yeah. decided I'm not going to go there anymore. Big call. <laughs> Big call for someone who's, uh, you know, a lot of their livelihood is based on the VFX industry. No, I'm going to do it and all via... Well, there's no VFX industry left in LA, and I'm going to do it all via email and remote. That's it. Okay. I'm going to Google No NAB. Everything. No, I'm not no going to C-Graph. No. Well, not C-Graph going isn't going to be there anyway. It's going to... It's Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Well. I like Hong Kong. Anyway, okay. um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, remarkably good quality. Man, we're getting back to what I was talking about. I shot a lot of really cool stuff uh, in interviews um, in a bunch of places around uh, Vancouver, LA, San Francisco, just phenomenal stuff. And, I mean, some of this stuff really is uh, was a privilege. A complete aside, our first rat hole, I guess. But um, I shot with Neville Page, who is the character designer of Prometheus and did the character design in Avatar wow. and uh, in Star Trek, both the last one and the one before it with JJ. It was, you know, the monsters when um, Kirk lands on the ice planet and he's got this kind of thing running after him and then a huge thing comes up through the snow. This is the latest Star Trek? No, no, the first, well, the first of the, like, yeah, the first of the JJ ones. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't remember that bit. No, don't you don't? He lands on the yeah. ice planet. There's this thing running after him mm. and then this huge red thing comes up through, eats it, comes after Kirk, falls down the thing before he finds Spock. What? Hmm. Okay. All right. I don't remember that one. Do you remember? It's been a while. That, okay. It's do you remember there are like blue characters on in Avatar? <laughs> the blue kitties. <laughs> yeah, I remember them. 
Okay, good. Starting to get somewhere. Do you remember the white guys in Prometheus and the thing that comes yes. the the pregnant? Indeed. Oh yeah, birth, the, the yeah. sort of hybrid thing which bursts its way through the door. Well, and, anyway, yeah, that's joking aside, it was a huge honour to that. sit down for an hour and uh, and interview Neville and just go through a bunch of stuff with him. And and there's a terrific, had an enormously cool time up at ILM talking to um the uh, art department up there and the concept guys. Just awesome. a delight. Americans Excellent. are very nice people. The LAX, it's just getting TAS in. people. I don't I don't think they're Americans. TSA, no. even as them as well. I don't like them, but I like no. Or Homeland Security that I was grilled for, grilled with by, for about half an hour, and actually re- detained by Homeland Security. Not even in America, in Heathrow, I was really? I was held back for being a uh, passport uh, for, for being Mr. David Full Fox traveling on a false search? passport number one two three four five six seven eight nine. Seriously, full body cavity search was it? No, but there was much. Tapping on blackberries for about 45 minutes while I sat there holding up an entire first class uh, and business and everything. You know, a plane, a 747 full of uh, captains of industry all wanting to get to uh, the States. Captains uh, of industry don't fly first class. It's basically like, you know, shitty rock stars and B-grade celebrities, right? And obviously obviously directors. Have their own planes. Anyway, it was uh, yeah, it was a joy. Thank you very much, TSA. Thank you very much, Homeland Security. Well, in other news, getting back to the show, protecting um, the world from people like me. Go ahead. Thank you. Let's go. Um, so the uh, had a lot of discussion about the dragon. Of course, we had this terrific interview um, with Mark Toyer when he first got hold of the dragon, mm. and the dragon sensor uh, versions of the epic are now shipping. Uh, this is pretty exciting. Does seem to be. Does seem to be. People seem to have their um, asked them to get getting them. Even and <laughs> some more famous than others, but those are people that have had their cameras for a long while. I think you know people like um, uh, Michael Bay, who've probably been shooting on and off on film and 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 on Dragon here and there um, for the last uh, Transformers, I guess T4, as we know actually. Um, but yes, a few other people, non non celebrity, non rock stars, are getting their are getting their dragons. Slowly starting to get out the door. I think what we're starting to see is the maybe the first few people, the first fifty or so, who put their money down at an AB. I was not one of those, uh, so I haven't got my email yet. But uh, well, you know, I'm sure it won't be too long. A few people are definitely starting to receive them, and um, so it's it's is actually shipping. And just, uh, just a few hours, just a few short weeks after their ca- it just took a little bit. A lot of those cameras from the clean room just got stuck in customs a little yes, bit. Yes, just yes. a couple of those bodies just got sort of held up with FedEx just for I don't know six months. Sarcasm is not becoming. Hey, um, the other big news that um, caught me by surprise is that uh, Ted Chulowitz from Red resigned and left uh, Red, and we yes. wish Ted all the best. Absolutely. We don't really know what Ted's doing yet. Um, but, yeah, wish him all the best. I'm sure he's going on to do some, something something fab. He always chooses interesting, amazing things to head to. I, uh, he was obviously from there at the ground floor for, for Red Digital Cinema and uh, has been a great uh, a great a friend of this podcast over time and has uh, always managed to, even though it may have been five minutes at a time, always managed to... Uh, 
find time to have a chat with us or at, at NEB, you know, whenever, which was always a very busy time for him, always managed to whiz in at the last minute and, and, and have a quick chat and whiz away. But uh, we do always, always, uh, well, um, and you spent a lot of time with him at NAB and have been interviewed and interviewing him as well. He's, uh, you know, did have a lot of, did have a lot of time for us. So we appreciate that and wish him well in his next endeavour. And most, can't wait to most, see what uh, it is. Most interestingly, I spoke to him at SIDGRAPH, of course, and that was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've spoken to him since he left. And uh, Edward has interesting things planned and new stuff are coming. You can and, go back uh, to being Edward now. Yep. And hopefully we can um, uh, sort of fill... Uh, well. We'd love to be included in that um, as it uh, as it rolls out, but I, I guess I was going to raise a bigger question with you, which is: Is this just because any company that's been going for that long has a change of staff, or do we think um, with the Jim uh, uh, taking a back seat and things, there's a new sort of wind uh, blowing in terms of uh, the way that red is blowing people out? <laughs> I'm not saying that. No, I don't know. I don't know. But um, look. You know the new red time will tell as as we go on how it's an it's been obviously been an interesting time for red and they at their time of launch and the red one it was i don't know you could pick how you could pick you how many years you think they were ahead tech tech wise call it five years ten years whatever their tech lead was from anybody else uh it's clear that it is now testing times for red and the gap is closing, and with every delay, um, I mean, even you know, Dragon as it is is um, uh, is streets ahead of the competition in terms of dynamic range. Uh, it is uh, going to be it's going to be interesting times ahead, tough going because there's a lot of people catching up fast, and that sort of tech lead, that kind of gap, the gap, the technical technology lead they had, I think, is. Uh, it's kind of like everybody's eye is now clearly on that uh, market. Now, of course, Red has kind of helped accelerate that market and has created, um, uh, you know, created the niche, created the need. And uh, now that 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 ball is well and truly rolling, I think a lot of companies it's it's created something that is now um, everybody's got their dollar on and uh, it's become they've pushed forward 4k 4k is now a way for everybody to market you know it's the new way to able to market projectors market TVs market camcorders whatever it is um, and uh, so there's a lot of financial might from every other manufacturer behind the you know digital cinema and behind accelerating it and upping the ante and upping the resolution and getting new gear out there so yeah red uh, as i said they they started this revolution but it's going to take a, a lot of big push to to keep up with it and not be lapped or not be caught up and that gap is closing so it's definitely hey, going to be have you seen time, the uh, david fincher black and white monochrome shot um uh, video that he did, which was for uh, yes. Justin Timberlake. For Shot Justin Timberlake, yes. 32,000 30, yeah, 32, ISO. I think it looks on the, gorgeous. On the monochrome. On the yes, monochrome, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a camera you can push. You know, it's And I think that is, you're seeing very similar imagery now in, in the Dragon. We'll be able to push it, the ISOs, and seeing really clean imagery um, and really nice dynamic range, and you're starting to see see a lot of that DNA in in Dragon now, I think the way it looks, and I think you know Mark Toyle would 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 second that for sure. Yeah, I just yeah, like beautiful, the uh, beautiful clip, but a lot of that black and white clip. sometimes it's hard to 
apart from the cleanliness and and and, and stuff, it's very hard to, a little hard to justify a a, a black and white only camera when you know it's quite. There's a lot of there's a lot of filters and post production and stuff out there that can make it all can make very lovely black and white out of a color image. I'm sure hundreds of color scientists out there are shouting at me at this very moment saying shut the fuck up what do you know well certainly in the case of this camera it had a much higher ISO at mm. a much lower noise floor than the previous Epic yeah and yeah. I know you said that was obviously being matched in the new Dragon but mm. um, when the monochrome was uh, sorry as the monochrome sat when this was filmed before of the course. Dragon was an option it was able to produce I think really gorgeous low noise um Lovely tonal range, uh, skin yeah. tones and stuff. True, yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of DNA in in, in that. Well, which was you know a newish sensor. Uh, maybe maybe a bigger link between those two sensors than we than we know. Hey, um, speaking of black, uh, you stumbled across a black Betty, Bam Bam. <laughs> um, well, it it's been doing the round. It's a bit of a quirky thing. As soon as I found out that it was like a one-off and a rental only, I thought, eh. It's not so interesting, but it, it's oh, kind of interesting that someone—it's interesting that someone went to the effort and they've done it so 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 interestingly. Um, if you go to BlackBettyCameras dot com, it's um, it's interesting. It's basically an SI two K bolted to uh, you know a bunch of interface uh, gear and a Mac Mini. Um, yes, that, uh, you heard that correctly. A Mac Mini. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's interesting. It's, it kind of looks like an old, an old Eclair film camera, really, in a way, yeah. except it has, you know, HDMI outs and SSDs, and uh, yeah, it's very, very clever, very interesting, very interesting little camera. And it's, I guess, that the thought it is one of the, the the only camera that can not only record its own shit but export its own shit. You can and actually, edit its uh, own shit. <laughs> yeah, and edit its own shit. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I guess in the in the in the software you can set it to record. Um, any number of a few codecs, I guess maybe not necessarily, maybe not necessarily locked into um, the Cineform, uh, Cineform RAW, two K Cineform RAW that it records. But back um, in back in the more sorry, I was going to because that's yeah, a bit of a irregularity, right? I mean, it it's is a bit a of a it's, it's it's a bit of fun and good on to good on the guys for um, Jeff and the guys for for um, making it. Um, but back on point with your thing about the competition that Red's facing, um, Sony this week announced uh, a sub six thousand five hundred. I, th- I think you were actually found that online for five or four grand. It's a Pro four K camcorder, so it's basically a um, it's a PXWZ one hundred. But what I found interesting, Jason, is this camera, which basically looks like a P two to go back a few years, um, is. 4K using a lot of the codecs and stuff that you'd see in the much more expensive uh, top-of-the-range Sony range. This is the 4K camcorder, right? Mm, yeah. The one I'm thinking of, unless they've got multiples, is the FDR-AX1 that yeah. I was looking at, which is a two-thirds inch, uh, well, it's like half-inch, half-inch sensor. Maybe there's, maybe there's multiple of these, but they're certainly pushing out the 4K camcorders. Uh, so there's more. the FDR AX1. Yes. But there's also the uh, PXWZ100. Okay. So there you go. Sony's releasing them so quickly we can't even keep up. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're very similar. 
I think. I'm not quite sure what the difference is between these two. Uh, it's PWS 4K handheld XD cam, and uh, one's XAVCS. So yeah, this one's recording 4K, um, being you know 4096 by 2100 kind of thing, um, at 60p, which is kind of interesting. Uh, 422 10-bit. Um, in uh, MXF formats, but I thought it was really interesting that you know that is the same codec that the F5 and the F55. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's actually record doing something that the F5 can't do, uh, recording 4K, um, recording its own shit. Um, yeah. It is uh, interesting. Obviously, it's a much smaller, much smaller sensor. Almost, yep. I think it's sort of halfway between half inch to two thirds inch. So it's 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 in in that in that in arena. But you know, it's great for um obviously if you're recording four K content, Sony themselves, no doubt all of the stuff they record have the mandate that they need to record everything originate and finish in four K. So this is going to help some of the lower end non feature sort of stuff uh, fill that mandate. And uh yeah, with like I said, the big push for four K, it's everywhere. Whether you actually can got you know, whether you can really get it out there or broadcast it or show it or distribute it is nothing to, is regardless. Um I guess having cameras that can actually uh, acquire it is um is the first big step. But I think yeah, I think that the other one that I pick, uh, uh that I uh talked about is uh only about four four and a half grand or something. Yeah, half grand. It's yeah. available for pre-order. Well, it's definitely less than um, it was meant to be listed by Sony as less than five grand, but I think you found it for less than than five grand. Yeah, but the one I'm talking about is more like six and a half grand. Um, six ABC, but maybe they're both they're both fixed lens, right? They're both you know yes, a, 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 a twenty un- times zoom, non-removable right? zoom lens. So it's very and much for, like a, you know very much like a P two kind of all in one. Yeah camera with EVF and flip out EVF and and I've got to say there's a real market for that flip out like, LCDs and EVF at the back yeah if you're doing interviews oh. and you want to just grab something and have it I mean let's say I know this seems an odd thing to do 4k news but let's say you're grabbing something for some kind of news type um, situation you know you don't want to do a narrative drama you want to have a lens you want to be able to move and run and gun it pretty quickly and go so documentary I guess um, this is uh, this is pretty interesting and I know that it's really small, but the thing that fascinates me about that small sensor is just how good the optics would have to be. Yeah. Because you're aiming at a really small target. And so while it seems like a smaller sensor is a sort of a cheaper version, it doesn't actually get you off the hook for the optics. It goes the other way. I mean, you're aiming at a much smaller um, patch, so you just have to get very, very precise optics. I'd be... I'd love to see some actual resolution charts and some stuff on this to see how mm. it's, how well it's resolving and how much. And you know, it's got uh, XLR jacks and built-in ND filters, and it's got a separate focus ring or focus, you know, separate focus zoom and iris ring. So this is not a little, this is not a little throwaway handycam. This is, you know, this is competent for for uh, run and gun or for reality TV. It needs to start acquiring yeah. in 4K. But again, as you say, for you know, it's four, four, four and a half grand. This is, you know, if you're if you this, this is um, uh, interestingly not in, in some way competitive with the production production Blackmagic 4K camera, sort of money-wise. Uh, if you don't need to have, you know, if you don't need to have the the Super 35 sensor, but to, you know, a, a lot of that, a lot of the applications that that production camera from Blackmagic would there would be there'd be crossover definitely for this camera. Anyway, it's but doesn't it give you pause for thought as to the upgrade price on an Epic? Because not that I'm saying anything about the Epic, and they're yep. not comparable one to one. Epic to Dragon upgrade price of but twice that is this, twice this money. 
Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. you get a lot of camera now for you know under ten grand. Certainly under yeah. sort of six grand, you get a lot of camera. Well, um, I'm sure you could. Um... But this has got to be also fighting it sort of a bit for um, competing with the uh, Black Magic camera, right? Because the Black Magic 4K camera is going to be Cinema DNG RAW four two two, and that's going to be about four grand, right? Yeah, this is much more compressed. I'd say XAVC is not necessarily it's a good it's 150 megabits a second this this one that i'm thinking of the x the ax1 it's still definitely um you know quite a good megabits but it is trying to do it's doing 4k in that and it's certainly not um the raw that black magic's capable of no but then you know there's I would a lot argue of camera that, for this money it's a lot of camera but for i'd money argue now. that with well yeah plus the black magic doesn't have a lens but the the thing that i'm arguing is that the ARRI shortly has taught us that Raw isn't Excellent. everything to everyone. Yes, exactly. And I mean, the, the black black magic is definitely still, regardless of whether it's Super Thirty Five or whatever. Those cameras are very quirkily placed in the middle ground of a whole, you know, catering to some people but not others, or one part of it is catering to one part of the community, but the other seventy five percent of the camera is not catering to that. I don't know. It's which, which segues us well into our red room uh, on, in fact, um, Jobs, because the film Jobs, which I, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't gone better, though, in fact, it is an indie film and it was in limited release, so we shouldn't have expected it to go mega, and it certainly didn't have a marketing budget like um, a major Hollywood film, but yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. Um, obviously, probably fall heavily in the category of uh, fanboy, but I just remember... I'm old enough to remember most of that stuff, you know, when they first, uh, well, I had an Apple IIe, but when, you know, the Mac first came out and when Jobs left and the the desolate years and Wide Magazine had that front cover with, you know, basically uh, Pray For Us with a shot of the Apple logo with the sort of thorns around it. And then, you know, Jobs' yeah. triumphant return and the uh, iMac and it's just, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I don't think it painted him as a saint, but I did think it was a really nice film. It was shot for next to nothing. I mean, this is a film that is, you know, you might think with a DOP, Russell Carpenter, you know, obviously got huge, well, Chase, mm. you know, massive amount of respect for him as a... Oh, I, I love Russell's work, particularly um, Titanic. If you look, it was, it was you know, obviously, a ma- <laughs> by sheer nature of the, the thing you got to photograph, it was a, a massive endeavour and, a, you know, a massive project put together. It looked beautiful and, you know, True Lies, holy shit. What what a film! Uh, he's done some fantastic work, and anybody I think uh, who can work with, uh, who can do more than one thing in a row, with um, with, with Cameron by all reports, I think is uh, deserves some sort of medal, and I think he probably has some. Well, as you can tell, uh, we're big fans. The film was done for an astonishing twelve million, but it's interesting that you brought that up about True Lies because, as you'll hear in this interview, um, I talked to Russell. Uh, and at the end of it, I just fanboyed into the fact how much I loved True Lies. And, uh, and he loved it himself. In fact, uh, it's very funny to hear what he has to say about uh, Titanic and True Lies when they come on the TV when he's channel surfing. But the point I wanted to make and the reason that I was saying it was a segue into it is that, uh, interestingly, for a film of this budget, they did make the decision to shoot on the Ari Alexa and shoot it only using the ProRes. So this was a film that never was shot raw and was uh, colour corrected. And, and it is... Uh, therefore, with an enormous amount of gravitas that you get the uh, opinion of someone like uh, a DOP with this much experience on really just how good that ARRI um, compressed format is because, 
I mean, he doesn't say that it's the same as shooting raw, but he says it's remarkably close, as you'll hear. Anyway, let's cross now to my uh, interview uh, about the uh, new film Jobs and uh, with, of course, DOP Russell Carpenter. You are entering the Red Room. So uh, thanks so much for agreeing to talk to us because I loved the film and I just thought it was a tr- just a really, really interesting. I mean, I actually honestly tweeted after it was one of the most entertaining films I'd seen this year. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> that'll be one more good review. So I, I, I'm, yeah, some, some people uh, responded and, and I think other people were looking probably for a more, much more in-depth uh, uh Film and I, I they'll probably get that with the Sony film, but this was just kind of a, 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 a an over, a overview of thirty years of, of uh, Jobs' uh, life. It is so, incredibly uh, hard when you've got something yeah. so much material to work with, because clearly for yeah. a, for a long period uh, he was in the public eye. Yeah, he, he yeah he was very much in the public eye, and, and even people, I, you know, it seems like even people who aren't really in the tech world certainly had an idea of who he was. And, uh, so yeah, but I had a blast. I, I really we had such a great time making the, the film, and I, I really love uh, you know doing something in the independent. Well, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely an independent film, but it, it, you know, I, I think it's kind of more plain as a bit of the mainstream film, but uh, well, yeah. certainly from, so, a, but it was, from a budgetary point of view, you weren't operating in in tentpole department. Oh, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> it was uh, it was I, you know I'm not sure. I think it was in the uh, six or seven million. You probably know more than I do. At this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm sure. Anyway, anyway, I guess we should just talk about the filmmaking part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was interested to discuss because I thought that it was, uh, if I could, I just wanted to discuss it really from a cinematography point of view and not from a, okay. from a, from a plot point of view. Um, because sure. I'm, I'm really interested when you have, um, to a certain extent, a, a large amount of flexibility. And I've heard you've spoken in the past because this wasn't a studio film. Once you and the director decided on a vision, you really did have quite a lot of freedom. Um, I really wanted mm-hmm. to discuss with you, I could, about literally uh, blocking and framing as a starting point because I've heard, yeah. I've heard you comment a bit about the various stages of the film and I just thought it was fascinating the use of uh, the blocking and framing and, and light seeping into the edge of frame. I just wonder if we could start there. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll also I'll start with uh, kind of the overall view of uh, the, the film. I, I came onto the film and then I heard Josh during talk about a film that he, he wanted to have uh, a, a very fairly distinct look that he saw as a, a kind of a three-part look. And uh, he wanted to have a what he called a, the, our grunge look or our garage band look. And and part of what uh, his excitement about the film was was that this is just an enterprise that started as with a few people who were just doing whatever they thought was, was fun, and they were doing it in a garage in a lower middle-income house uh in uh, Palo Alto, and even because this was the late seventies, uh, he 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 said, "Well, let's let's mess this up. We'll mess the lighting up. We'll mess the framing up a little bit. We'll uh, uh, we're we're not at least in the first part of the film. We we won't have overly handsome frames, but 
I really want to feel the light because in the second part of Job's life, he gets into a kind of fluorescent light situation. When we looked at the places that he had, uh, you know, because we went to Palo Alto, and we looked at some of the places that were very much like he started. They were very, very bland and horrible fluorescent light. So let's, we wanted to celebrate like coming through windows, the feeling of natural light. And what we did was, uh, in keeping with that, we uh, consulted with Dan Sasaki at uh, Panavision and told him what we were after. And uh, he said, well, I have the thing for you. I have these these old Voltar lenses from the mid-'70s, and uh, uh, the coatings are somewhat worn and change color a little bit, but they catch... Um, light, especially light at the edge of the frames in a, in a really marvelous way. And we thought that's what we want. And we experimented. And I actually felt in love with those lenses because especially now with the resolution that, that the, you know, the digital cameras were capable of capturing, it was actually a very, it was a very beautiful look when we framed up faces. And then when we shot outside, we were always looking for the happy accidental flare or, or, uh, and just uh, enjoying, I guess, the anomalies of those lenses. So, uh, so, now I try to think about the blocking, uh, just in terms of, uh, not being too formal, uh, and, and then later, uh, uh, and a little bit loose with the camera in terms of how we're moving it, and, but later, as his world becomes more interior in the, first, in the second part of the film, uh, we would start to, to uh, at least on the interiors, kind of shut the natural light out and uh, go for m- much more structured uh, frames using the interior architecture that we found in uh, you know, the, the environment. And at that midpoint, when you have the uh, jobs just before he's he's sacked by Scully and the board, you did just some terrific mm. composition with him being isolated through a door frame, and then you go into the room where his grand piano is. There seems to be, and he's just so alone in a in a vast space. But I was getting you know so much just from the framing and the blocking in those scenes. Yeah, uh, he we we looked at the pictures. We you know we looked at all the things that we could find, and we said, wow. I mean, he, you know, there's some talk about, well, he enjoyed space and he enjoyed a uh, kind of a, a Zen epic. And, and there was that, but also he wasn't with the, the people that he started out with. He was with new people and, and his, his spaces, spaces did seem to be kind of alone spaces. And we said, well, we're just... That's the vibe that, that seemed to be happening, so we decided to just uh, look for those frames that, that we could explore and put him, you know, in frames or in wide spaces where he's somewhat alone. Even even at um, at Apple, there's one shot where he, he he's going to actually kind of stumble upon a meeting with uh, Mark and uh, Scully and. Uh, uh, oh gosh, with this blank of Albert, Albert Rock are having. He goes through this very, very wide space where the lights are clicking on, and it's very 
very alone in that space. Uh, yeah, you know, other than that, I, I certainly am not um, any uh, expert on jobs, but, you know, as we've started to <laughs> explore his life, I think certain things seem like they wanted to be expressed through the camera. Yeah, and that in that early stage, you, as you said, you were using those uh, Panavision lenses that were the older ones. But I presume you, yes. you moved off those after that initial stage of the garage yeah. laser formation. Yeah, we used uh, at, the, at the beginning we used the uh, Baltar lenses and then uh, old zooms. Uh, then we went into uh, our uh, second phase, which we kind of, which was a slight desaturation, and we moved a little bit into cooler tones, and then we went back to the cleaner, more modern lenses, uh, uh, which were is the Primos, even though they've been around for a long time now. They're very clean, and their and their zoom lenses are extremely sharp and, and clean. And uh, uh, so we, we didn't use any any filtration in that section. Uh, Yeah. But in the third section, you did use filtration, I believe? Yeah, we did. We, and the the, the third section is very short and it starts with him just pulling carrots out of his garden. And that we, the, and then you, you get a sense of the light coming through the windows again. And, uh, uh, and that he, it's, the sunlight is back, and so we used. Uh, we stayed with the Prima lenses, but we we used. I think it was Panavision glimmer glass, which um, I hadn't used before. But when we tested it, I thought this was really it's doing something really lovely with the light, uh, and and the, just a kind of a glistening uh, effect in the hair that the the uh, these old filters called super frost yep. but they were popular in the 1980s but you could just look at them sideways and they'd scratch they were very fragile uh acrylic filters uh, uh it was much like that and i said that felt right and then then again we brought back the saturation in, in um the colors and we even you know when we could when there was green in the frame we we, we gave the green uh colors in the frame a little more vibrant the glimmer glass tends to sort of bloom or soften the highlights. Really, it doesn't affect the darks, yeah. does it? Right, exactly, and that's what I like. I don't like the. Uh, I really don't like the filters that that merge up the, uh, uh, yeah. the the low the low end. So, so I guess that's why it was one of the reasons I was partial to that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm really curious in when you were filming that you decided to shoot. I guess it was a budget reason. You decided to shoot on the area, which is great, but shoot uh, in camera on the ProRes format, which is, you know, a pretty bold move because uh, normally obviously you want to capture as deep a negative as you can. And yeah, and here was here was the uh, the issue for us: it was money, money, and money. Right. And it, yeah, if I had the budget, I would have gotten with the Codex. Uh, uh, captured in Airy Raw, uh, but I did uh, I did test with. Uh, uh, I mean, we tried different formats. We tried uh, uh, and we tr- we 
but I did a comparison test between Ari Ra and ProRes, and I said, and especially because it's not, it wasn't really a visual effects stone, which if it was, I think I would have definitely shot Ari Ra. Sure. Uh, uh, but I said, you know, I'm usually fairly decent at getting my exposures, uh, you know, close enough to where I, I, I know I can move to a negative around and not suffer a penalty if I did shoot in ProRes. And so, uh, really, it was money. <laughs> really, totally, that, that that was the thing. But I was very pleased with the, uh, uh, you know, and I I think in some instances, the, the difference between ProRes and, and uh, area, the, you know, shooting totally uh, raw was uh, uh, not as much as you'd think. Tell me, tell me this, it, it's one of the, I mean, you made me laugh in an interview you gave a while ago where you said one of the things you liked about shooting digital is that you can check it's in focus before you move on. But how, yeah. how do you like yeah. to work with your, um, just in terms of the process, how do you like to work in terms of your uh, camera operator? Do you like to basically light the scene and let the camera operator operate? Do you like to operate yourself? At, I mean, in a situation like this where you've got the flexibility because it isn't Titanic, um, how do you like to work yeah. a scene? Uh, well, usually I, you know, because I've been working, I, I was working with a lovely camera operator named Greg Blundstard, who's also terrific with, with Steadicam. And we, we've done a few films together. And, uh, I, what I do is I, uh, I usually say, I, I, I talk very specifically about the beginning of the shot, the end of the shot, and kind of maybe if there's a, a, a beat in the middle and then maybe another beat. And I said, do you see if you could, I want a little grace note soup over here and get this. And then whatever secret sauce you want to add, go ahead or, you know, maybe better, better way. And just, uh, if, you know, if anything changes drastically, just tell me, I mean, I have that much trust in him, but, uh, once the, the, the beginning and end, uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, if there's something I really want him to hit in the middle, uh, he, he's such a, he's such a great operator, uh, uh, that I feel like I could really pay attention now to, uh, the lighting and, uh, and then, uh, and then Greg will also work out the beats for the focus pulling, you know, uh, even because I, I think the focus pulling is, is still such an art just in terms of, uh, where, where you want the view and guy to go. Can I can yeah, I ask you about just for for educational yeah. reasons? Can I ask you to spec? Let's pick any specific um, scene. I'm going to pick something simple because I don't want it to be about uh, complexity of camera moves. So let's say when Woz right. resigns from Apple, when you're mm -hmm. coming on the set to shoot that scene, um, how much is the blocking something that you already kind of know about, or do you literally let the actors kind of work the space and and then pick your? Because you quite often operate with two cameras on this, didn't you? Yeah, uh, very often because of, uh, of the, you know, I forget how long that that schedule was, but it wasn't very long. Sure. And so we we were trying to offer up as much as we could in in the short time that we had to get through uh, five to six pages a day. So uh, what usually. Um, 
in our pre-production, we talked with the uh, you know I talked with the director and the production designer about each scene. I mean that really was actually that was, that was a great thing about this was that that uh, and it often doesn't happen, but we were able to to in pre-production have a breakfast meeting where we would literally talk about every scene, and so I and and at this point there was something about that scene that just felt like would in some way isolate uh, jobs in, you know, he'd have the light, there, there was a big light fixture that he was working with, but then let everything just fall off, you know, into that darkness again. And um, I wanted, uh, you know, I think of that, you know, sometimes you go back to uh, very, very, very old uh, references, you know, and I've always liked kind of the George Latour uh, light from the candle, except this time we had this big modern thing we were doing. But so we felt like, okay, we we want jobs on the floor down by this this light, and then we want uh, uh, was uh, just kind of stay standing, not sit down, not get too familiar. Just was to say what he had to say, and then move on in his life. Um, because you so, see, for me, for me, what's interesting about that is there are so many ways you could have handled that scene. It's obviously very emotional, and yeah. But you've got you end up with, from a viewer's point of view, you've got Jobs literally at at out in the ocean, an ocean of paperwork. He's literally surrounded by a yeah. sea of paperwork that yeah. isolates him in the room. He's also on his hands and knees facing a guy who, to every respect, he's to a certain extent put a shadow over. And you've got a guy yeah, who's it, very physically big, yeah. and yet you've made him feel really uncomfortably isolated. It was just really subtle and great. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I I can't really speak to that in the each scene because we were moving so fast. I mean, having had the luxury of of uh, sitting with Josh uh, for uh, in our pre production. By the time we got to shoot it, it, it was literally almost what I would call uh, more of an improvisational freeform kind of jazz thing than a highly structured thing. And a lot of, uh, I don't know, I, I have to say a lot of it just became, we, we saw the blocking and we just go, wow, it, it shouldn't be this. And then, of course, the actors would say, you know, you know, Josh might say, I don't think I'm going to get in, come in here and get familiar. I'm not going to sit down. I'm just, you know, we take our cue from what the actors wanted to do. I mean, there's, and then, and then you just kind of go by feel, you know, and and that's what I enjoyed about this film is that uh, sometimes on studio films, you get either the complexity of some of the the, the stunts or just how long it just takes to get a, a scene figured out. You, you kind of lose a flow. And what I liked about this was one, the, the schedule just dictated that you just keep improvising and, and going and moving you know, and, and not, not really finding time to just get bogged down in anything. Of course, you could have also so, been on a soundstage where you had you know, sets where you could remove walls and stuff. But what, 90% of yeah. this, if not 95, is, is on location? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, what we call our set was just, you know, our set was our production office in one way. I mean, we were camped out in a, we camped out in a building in the San Fernando Valley 
And uh, uh, the study the Wasp, the production designer, just made brilliant use of the space. It was the old uh, uh, daily news, the um, uh, newspaper building. And he just went in there and, and, you know, I don't know how he did it, but he just transformed the place. In fact, that, that the scene where Jobs is, uh, where they have the, the table where Jobs is fired from, and, you know, Freddie built that from scratch, which was probably our greatest expenditure, but then everything else was really just kind of, uh, find a space and shoot in it. I, I don't really, I, we really didn't have any, any I have to back to the gosh, did we have anything that was a formal set? In fact, uh, the, the locations that started the film were actually at, at uh, Jobs' uh, childhood home, which, which for us going in was a big thrill. That, that was remarkable, was wasn't it? The actual, the actual garage. Yeah, it was really amazing. It was really amazing to get a tour of uh, the garage or, you know, the, his, his mother-in-law lives there and she'd go, oh, that, oh, and that's Steve's room. And she'd point to it and you look at it and go, oh my God, this room is so small. You know, <laughs> it's so small. And, uh, uh, and then uh, she showed us the uh, back porch. Uh, or there's a little desk built out in the back and, and said, look at, look at the nails. Yes, and they, they were all like perfectly straight in a row. And she said, "That's that's that's uh, uh, adopted father. He, he, how precise he was with his, his work, and that's what he passed on to uh, to Steve. You know, so so for me, that was a big charge. You know, just to be there, it was just incredible. What did that present in the way of problems for lighting? Because no one's going to light a real garage uh, operation at startup stage the way you might want to light them for." Telling a story of yeah you know, characters. Well, also you know, I coming coming out of um, you know romantic comedies where everybody's supposed to look just so, and, and the, the the sets you know like the sets in a, a fairly glamorous, fairly slick way. And this this was also a real treat for me to break out of that form and just hide light around, use fluorescent light hide lights wherever I could. Uh, sometimes they were just uh, lights that were, you know, they have these brick lights that are, are battery powered. Uh, I, I love to use Source 4 lights, if you know what those are. And, I, I, you know, if I could find a way to wiggle that and to make what looked kind of like a, a pattern of accidental light somewhere, I, I, would, I would do that. But, again, uh, shooting in locations, I think it's, yeah, it's restrictive, but it's, again, it's kind of fun to say, oh, you know, what can I do here? These balls aren't going to move. The cameras can only move back so far. And uh, that isn't was part a, of the Isn't a source for quite a large line, physically? Uh, a, source for, uh, a source for is about two feet long, yeah. and it's actually made out of plastic. And it, it, it has a, uh, a, uh, radi- what, uh, a diameter that's probably about maybe seven or eight inches wide. Yeah. So it's, it's not it's not huge, uh, but th- those I wouldn't try and hide in the scene. But I would I would hide I would might put those at the edges of the frame or back somewhere in and have it look like a little piece of accidental sunlight that right. was that was coming in. Yeah, because they're they're really spotty, yeah. aren't they? Uh, yeah, they can be really spotty. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but a lot of, uh, 
in, in that instance, I mean, it was either practical for us uh, or Kina flows didn't hear their tape, tape up to a wall somewhere. You know, usually, we did have a couple of big lights that we would use through windows, but for the, for the most part, it was just the, the joy of keeping the light as simple as possible and just keeping it out of the way. This may be a bit of a trivial question, but it struck me when I found out the budget. I was like, how the heck did you do those, what seemed like only a couple of, not throwaway, but not cr- plot critical shots that looked like they were in India? Oh, uh, <laughs> we basically paid our way over there. And uh, I actually I went was, to India? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we did. Here's what it was was uh, like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I thought, kind of thought I was going to get paid. I, I paid. I paid for my own ticket, <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and you know. But Josh and I said, "Oh my God, this film needs to open up a little bit. What can we do?" You know, and and, and Josh from the start of the film said, "Well, if there's any way we can get to India, let's let's go." And we started, and we actually kept it really small. Some of the footage was done on 5D Mark IIs. Uh, and then, uh, uh, just a week before we went, um, Josh said, you know what? I'd really like to shoot some of the stuff on Alexa. Uh, so, uh, I have a, a friend, uh, an Indian cinematographer, Asim Bajaj, who, uh, really bailed me out. He got me the cameras, uh, the lenses. He brought his own crew in after, you know, uh, uh, for uh, as a favor, you know, and uh, and lights. I, I mean, it was it really was a gift from God, you know, for a film with with uh, zero budget. It was quite extraordinary to, uh, to to go over there and and then be and actually shoot in a in a chaos that I've never experienced before in the United States. You know, the fact uh, that you were shooting in India and that you could actually get uh, sync sound bothers me because when every time I'm there, there are so many horns of cars going off. Oh. I'd have no idea how you'd get sound. Yeah, yeah. And I think at the beginning, it was like we weren't even going to get sound. But then we, we got a... a, a uh, but you had to take we, Lucas we and Ashton over there, right? I mean, they were in the shot. Yeah, and, and that, you know, the production paid for that. I mean, it was just... Yeah, I would say it was as low budget as you could possibly get you know and I, I don't even know I may, those guys might have kicked in their time I don't know I mean, I mean everything was done totally uh, on the cheap yeah and it's also impressive at the end I guess when you're going around the campus because we're all familiar with the notion of the Apple campus I mean not you know specific yeah. architecture but it did feel like it had opened up a lot which you kind of needed because the company was meant to be a, a lot lot bigger um, yeah, I there there were certain locations that again Freddie uh, Wasp found with and I, or Paul Schreiber, the location manager, that I said, oh my god, I am stunned that we're getting these locations for uh, for much much cheaper than I think uh, you know they they might have been charging us for uh, the end. The end of uh, the film was shot in uh, at Loyola Marymount, uh, and at uh, it's like a Fallbrook Business Park, uh, 
uh, that many of the buildings were just shut down. I mean, some buildings had businesses in them, but there, there were several open buildings. And those were just like two like enormous gifts to, uh, to, a, to a low budget film. And the, um, the, the, the place, the interior that stood in for Steve Jobs' uh, uh, home in uh, the one that's so empty yeah. uh, was in Simi Valley. And, uh, you know, it's just a miracle that I think that they, they were able to get that location for what it cost. Because I, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a location manager, so I don't know what things cost, but I know... Yeah, you know, just from hearing the talk that we were getting used to. Yeah, I mean, normally we wouldn't care so much about location costs other than, of course, it was so much well, a palette that yeah. we had to work with because... Yeah, and, and that, that is... Uh, that is... Uh, the, the thing is, you know, you, you don't sometimes pay that much attention to... Um, you know, when we talk about cinematography, the location, but I, I think location is everything. In, in terms of not everything, in terms of you know how it's lit, but you know you have to have something to present because you can't you can't take a shoebox and turn it into a palace. You know? So I think I think it's really important. You know, you try and cast your locations as you would your actual palace. Um. So just in terms of uh, really nice shots that you know, on, in a big budget film, you mm-hmm. can spend time on. But I wonder how hard this was or how much it was just came together. The, the very opening scene where he introduces the iPod, it's just such a gorgeous shot when you have his eye reflected in the back of the iPod. It was just a nice uh, conclusion oh, yeah. to that shot. Was that easy to get or was that like a struggle? Did it just come naturally? Uh, well, it, it turned out to be easier. You know, I've been on films that you think, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then when you're there... And you, the, you go, oh, my God, did you just see that? We were setting up something, and I, I just saw his face reflected in the, you know, oh, let's work that in, you know. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes things, uh, you know, uh, nice things happen like that. That was our last day of filming uh, uh, because Ashton had to go to an intensive uh, makeup uh, uh, to, to get to, you know, the, that part of Steve Jobs' life. Yep. And again, again, we shot it at the, this business park in, uh, in Fallbrook. Uh, I mean, where, where would that be? I, I'd say on Fallbrook Avenue in San Fernando Valley. So. But you just saw that through, what, just having a look at uh, blocking and decided to incorporate it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just go, oh, we, well, we, we cannot not do that shot. So, yeah, we, we, yeah. I mean, there was a lot that was somewhat, I mean, I wouldn't say that uh, the, the film was somewhat storyboarded in order to just help us think through the film. And I, and more and more, I think now, I've never really been on a film where you really follow the storyboard, but it sure helps you envision the film. And, you know, and, but I digress, yeah. <laughs> so from your point of view, the film you set out to make in pre-production was very close to the film that you managed to get uh, and, and hand over to editorial? Um, yes, it was. But I, then I, I, I mean, I, I think definitely in terms of the raw material, but then I, 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 I really, the editor had a, you know, 
you, you, you make the film and the script, you make it in production, and then you remake it in editing, and, and then yeah. he, you know, gave it a, its final shape. But de- I, definitely, we got close, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, of filming. I guess the only the only place that I really felt like, oh wow, the production design, not the production design, it was the lighting. Really, I, I didn't know what to do with it. It was just, but at least it kind of fit. There was this big uh, computer fair yeah. in uh, and uh, uh, in the 1970s, which which pro- probably uh, was held in the Cow Palace or something like that, which was overhead, uh, like metal halide lighting or something like that. And the space was so huge, and our budget was not big and I just didn't know what to do with that so I just rolled with it <laughs> like I kind of rolled over on that one but you know it, it's kind of what it was you know it's like this is this is far beyond the budget of our our picture and we were lucky to have the space well, I guess I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that obviously you've had an amazing career of doing large budget films is there anything that you sort of I don't know, rediscovered I probably made the way to describe it from doing this such a smaller uh, job that you would like to carry forward into another big production? Oh, uh, hmm. well, wow. Well, I mean, I, I certainly discovered that, that independent films are, they're just a hell of a lot of fun. They <laughs> really are, you know, and, and everybody has their cards on the table in terms of what their resources are. And you know, your budget, your budget and your time are going to be very tight. Uh, but, Given that, uh, there's just a lot of joy in going out and just trying to make that film so that has just that budget. And I, and I, I wonder, I, I think that's really a great question because I never said, oh, God, what can I take from an experience like that? And when I go back to where I do have the resources, um, you know, it's always, I don't know, uh, I think I think what would translate for me is just taking a few more more more, more chances, more contrast, more and, and if I get a film that, that's not a romantic comedy, more more, more grit and power to to my images. Of, I mean, that's my internal dialogue right now. But thank you for the question because I haven't actually thought of it. Well. Let me thank you because I've got to say uh, one of my all-time favorite films. I'm sure most people talk about Titanic, but for me, True Lies was uh, just a high walk. Uh, I just one of my all-time oh my favorite God. films. Oh my God! You know, um, if somebody said, "Well, what's your favorite film?" I would say, for me, that's my favorite film because it's just plain fun. You know, yeah. and I go, "Oh yeah," and so I, you know, I tell people if I'm just channel surfing and I if I come across Titanic, I just I just it's like and I'm off of it. If I come across True Life, I'll stop and I'll watch a scene just for a laugh or some bit of absurd action. And and for me, that is my that's my favorite too. I think that that has a nice kind of heart to it. It, it was a good good chemistry between Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Arnold. And if yeah. I can if yeah, I can so beg the, your indulgence just for one question, because I remember sure, sitting yeah. there as a kid reading Cinefix, and I was not that young, I guess, but I remember reading yeah. Cinefix, and they said that the uh, you, you know guys had that brilliant idea of having the Harrier jump jet model on top of the building so you could film for real. And 
Yeah. And that was inspired. But then the next paragraph said, and it was being craned off the building. And someone said, oh, as it's being lowered down on the street, we'll film that. And I think you removed the wires and that was the, the jet kind of landing back on the ground. And it just struck me that that whole environment seemed both insanely innovative and incredibly responsive in a way that could only happen if everyone was pulling together. Was it really like that when you were well, in it? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, you know, my experience with, uh, especially working with Jim, is that, uh, I, I mean, he, he, well, he, he's, he's a, a very good logician, uh, technician, uh, a crafter of a, a, of a film, and what he sets out to do pretty much on every one of his films is incredibly ambitious. He'll set out to do something that he doesn't know how to do. Now, uh, uh, you know, he said that we started Titanic. Well, we don't know how to make this film, but we're going to know by the time we finish making the film. And that's his, that, that, and so uh, I, and, uh, and I have to say, you know, when I talk about uh, independent films, you, you could be sitting on a huge, uh, situation with you like you're up on you know harriers landing in the florida keys or being on top of a uh a skyscraper in miami and there's still this feeling of well it, it, it's just a few guys making a film in a garage i mean it's it has that feeling literally you know it, it, it's not like this you know from the outside it looks like this super big studio film and and it is in kind of the moving parts but at the core of it, it's, it, it's uh, Jim and a few people around him and Jim's improvisational skills. And then it, he'll see something. He'll see like, oh, my God, the crane. It has to lower the hair to the ground. Of course, you know. And he can do that. I mean, he can, he can, he can make those, those uh, bold moves. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the crane that we use so much in Titanic is actually uh, uh there, there was a huge uh, kind of construction crane that you don't see in the picture, mm-hmm. but it was it, it was actually there to help us with lighting. And then when Jim saw how smoothly the crane operator was moving the arm and the uh, uh, you know whatever he was pulling up and putting on the, the ship, he said, "We don't need a helicopter. We don't need. This is how we're going to do our aerials." We're just going to get up in a basket with hanging from this crane, and, and we'll put the heli- you know the, the the west cam or the, the gyro stabilized camera. We'll just put it under the basket, and then we'll go wherever we want to go. That's that's Jim improvised, you know, and that's that's a very big improvised. So uh, yeah, so so that's what I mean about oh garage band kind of. Uh, I mean, you know, guys in a garage making a make the film. Well, again, uh, just thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. And I really really enjoyed the film. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank thank you, Russell. I know that is a huge. Uh, uh, it was a huge get. Well done, Mike, and uh, great chat. And uh, again, huge respect, huge respect to Russell. It's uh, um, thank you for spending the time with us. I, I love the fact that you've managed to collar all these high end dudes. Some more, some more um, uh, talkative than others. 
Um, um, oh, uh, okay. Other news, which is, uh, probably excites very few people other than me, and actually it might ex- excite a few other people who will be happy at the prospect that I'll shut the fuck up about this. Uh, is the um, Canon uh, releasing the Cine version, the Cine lens, 35 mil? They announced it at NAB, and I've long winged the fact that this is they they have no hope in hell of sh- of selling too many lenses unless the rest of the kit of the lens. Uh, is around um, or has been announced. They announced, I think, at NAB that they were. Um, I think what was it? it was a production announcement that they basically we're looking into designing it. We're, a development announcement, I think it was. We're we're looking into building this lens, and I think now they have uh, just literally yesterday, I think, announced that the 35 mil will ship. Uh, they have a, a weird price for it, which I'll get into in a second. But uh, yes, expected at the end of this year, December. I imagine that probably means real world shipping of January. But uh, very happy. Having now uh, owned the all the rest, well, the most of the rest of the other um, Cine primes, that the 35 is coming. A weird thing. It's probably of benefit to Australians, but why I think these lenses are possibly more appealing than is first thought. That uh, go to B. If you go to B and H and look at the prices of these Cine lenses, they're like five grand a pop. But here in Australia, at least. Most of the retailers are selling them at least at least the the standard ones like the twenty five the fifty the eighty five for a three a little bit under three and a half three and a half Australian, which is actually even less American now they say maybe even three 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 two or something american at at time of press uh but uh g b and h the um prices on these lenses it's, I've never before seen um such a discrepancy um, between you know Australian prices and and uh, American prices. So usually we would normally take those prices and yeah five five two for the twenty five thousand two hundred twenty dollars for the twenty four mil Canon Cine. Now I bought that lens th- three days ago for three four three five. So that is an astonishingly huge difference. Mike, as you are known, you know we know yeah. uh, all Australians are used to paying well a above premium. board for yeah well, a premium. You know, then add something and GST and import duty and taxes and things. So I don't know uh, if you're Australian and and you're, you 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 have been sort of maybe considering these lenses. Definitely worth uh, you know contacting your local resellers or um, uh, Videocraft or Lemac or um, Sun Studios or Sun Motion Studios. Here in Sydney, and uh, yeah, that's that's that seems to be the pricing locally. Bonkers. So uh, I've been sort of leaping on these lenses, and very happy that the 35 mil uh, is announced uh, again, though with a ridiculous, weird price of five something thousand dollars American. So I can only hope that the lower pricing will follow here. Uh, maybe have a if you're in the states. Tap someone from Canon on the shoulder and say, "What the hell is going on?" No, as don't. Long as it doesn't make the prices go yeah, up here. Don't, 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 don't mention it. Don't <laughs> no, no, talk I about think, it. No, I think Shut it's up. a new thing. No, <laughs> okay, forget that. Scrub it. I said yeah. nothing. Okay, forget yeah. it. But um, the other lenses, the fourteen mil and the one three five, things are very mu- are much more expensive and a thousand or so more because you know it's it's that's just that's what wide angle and, and tight yeah. glass is. It's always more, but uh, the body of the group is 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 quite affordable. Um, so I don't know if that pricing is just for us. Then awesome, thanks, Canon. You 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 rock. Canon does rock. Actually, I'm doing some stuff with Canon. Well, 
I, I'm doing stuff as in I am just a punter doing stuff. I don't have any special relationship. But mm. uh, Canon here in Australia has a really interesting still photography competition. Now, I would normally just not get out of bed for a photography competition because, <laughs> you know, well, no, but it's this thing that, I know you, what know, you mean. I know it's what just you mean. like. It's just like every photo has been done to death and, you know, yeah. like you just get... Sort of a grandma load. holding some flowers. Yeah. But Canon has this thing called Photo 5 in Australia. I don't know if they have it in the States, but it's... Yeah, um, they've done that in the past. Are they doing that again, are they? Yeah, I, that, I, well, I think that maybe they called it Photo Photo 4 or whatever it is, but it's, um, yeah, it's a really awesome, awesome competition. Well, they send you this literally, they mail you a brown box and in it is a bunch of stuff, which is extraordinary, right? And you don't have to be limited to the quantity of the stuff but for example one of them is flour right so you could do something and they want you to do something flour high contrast does that make sense and mm-hmm. so I could use more flour than the flour they send me but in the box is flour as there is you know other things like cartoon eyes and jelly crystals and other things for other bits and there's five of these you have to submit um, there's also a thing called the people's brief which was the first one I submitted which was um, reflections which I actually shot in New Zealand. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's just a really interesting thing. If you are in Australia, check out uh, the Photo 5 competition. I think it's only just started. I think you got to the I end of the month. I think it's once a year maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, kept thinking, I kept thinking it was every few times. They do these interesting things throughout the year, not just this Photo 5 or whatever it is, but they do some other interesting, you know, really nice um, competitions. And it's not just... And they'll, and they'll have professional photographers judging these things. Yeah. This is, you know, this is aimed at sort of enthusiast stuff. This is really not sort of low-end thing it's 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 good and they have you know some great um great prizes i think well it's a really good challenge because you know you've got flower and high contrast that's uh you know your category and the thing i find with photography is i'm much better when i have a narrow brief if, if you give me a wide brief i'm just you know photograph anything well what i'm gonna do photograph my foot but when you say flower high contrast now i'm starting to think of some really interesting things i can do mm. uh playing with the dynamic range in a very high contrast image and you know that's exactly what they want to have happen. So, plus, of course, the other great thing is when you've got a very specific brief like that, watching the interpretation that other people come up with. Um, so, and some of them are more fun than some of them more serious, but I've got to say some breathtaking images were submitted last year. Really yeah. uh, inventive, non-literal interpretations of the um, of the brief. But they physically send you these things. You have to be accredited. Like, you have to, you know, obviously go to a website and fill out stuff and... There's a limited number of them, but um, certainly I was accredited and they sent me a box. Yeah, hey, um, oh no, it's, it's great. It's definitely... Um, speaking you know, of... Australian, the Australian sites, just go in and look at... Not just that, but I think Photo Chains and uh, the other one is One Wall. I think I've entered that before. That's that's quite beautiful. And you can actually go back and, and, that, and, and look at some of the original, uh, some of the earlier... Uh, winning stuff, you know. I don't think they've done that for a little while, but this again, for in terms of engaging with the industry and engaging yeah. with with consumers and not treating them like idiots and having yeah. a competition that actually challenges you to be creative, which is what this is all about. It's you know, good on whoever. You know, most of the time this stuff isn't necessarily run by Canon. It's all run by whatever their marketing agency or whoever it is. So whoever whoever you're employing Canon, it's just awesome. It's working well. So congrats. Anyway, so um, you were saying? No, I was going to say Canon Australia is generally just a terrific organisation. And uh, one of the reasons I was saying that is that didn't they didn't you hook up with Vince? Isn't Vince out? Oh, yeah, for yes, Canon? yes. Vince Lafaray is here at the moment um, doing. Um, 
workshops. Uh, he's yeah, workshops for digital cinema and yeah, I guess DSLR and all the rest. He I was, did not uh, get to his Sydney seminar because and Melbourne. I think maybe even actually at time of press, you probably still can get to the Melbourne stuff. Sydney stuff's happening literally as we as we as we speak. Um, but uh, yeah, good on them bringing him out here, you know, flying him out, and he doesn't do many of these things or doesn't need to do them really. So it's 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 good that um, you know they made it worth his while and that he that he said yes and. Good to have him. Good to have him in town. Um, uh, he's how is he? Uh, he's good. He's very good. He's very good. He's a bit uh, interestingly like to have seen. Uh, we had uh, interestingly had this this chat about, um, uh, and I sort of hesitate to say it because we basically spent the last I don't know what forty minutes already talking about this. It's uh, just burnout of gear. This whole this thing of just. It is really hard to keep up, and um, you know, particularly trying to do a podcast on the ship for nearly six years now, it's uh, incredibly hard to uh, to keep up with this stuff, and uh, uh, almost feel like you know the camera I had last week that's perfect. I don't need to really you know why spend the time. Uh, you know, I've got a perfectly great camera here. I'm not going to spend the energy and the time testing and checking out stuff. I guess it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have, I suppose, the fact that we are being spoilt for choice. But um, uh, it's like sort of being given the key to the, you know, the ice cream factory. You do end up at some stage lying on the floor in pain because um, <laughs> you're overindulged. <laughs> I don't know. That's a crappy analogy, but I just it is de- you know there is there is definitely, uh, and it's testament to the fact that, that that it is a much bigger market, and everybody's trying to get your dollar, and and um, it's it is hard to keep up with this stuff. I'm glad that we're being spoiled, but nonetheless, sport we are, and it's very it's a very it's it rapidly getting towards the uh, tech burnout uh, in this arena and Facebook's full of it Twitter's full of it and <laughs> it's it's um, it's hard to it's definitely hard to keep up so as, yeah I'm sure lots of people out there suffering from it someone will come up with a name for it I would have thought you were the perfect guy to coin the phrase but yeah okay well, anyway the thing is Vince is out here doing really great stuff and yes, uh, and he's, I'm sorry, that, as I said, I didn't get to see him. It's just that I was, um, uh, well, I was suffering my own burnout from uh, from traveling. So um, I needed to not go to some more events. And I, I was actually at, a, at an event yesterday anyway, so I'm already behind the eight ball. Hey, um, the other thing that I was going to uh, flag is, I think you mentioned in passing, and I thought we'd I'd just quiz you on it. Did you bump into the Sony guys and or were we allowed to talk about that and grab the new small little toy? Oh, yes. Yes, the... Um uh, the new uh, action cam, which there's a revision, which I think most people are, are, are keen. And it had some people had sort of, I suppose they had they had not issues with the original action cam, which is actually not that long ago. You know, only probably it's probably been out. I don't know, maybe a year, le- less than a year. Uh, one of the things that was sadly lacking was it wasn't brilliant in low light, but the other thing was that it was completely missing 24 and 25p. I think it did 30p. And that's about it. One of the few things that it did do, which was impressive, was the 120, 120p super slow motion. Uh, did 60 and stuff. But, um, uh, uh, but yeah, hasn't I've the got, new one got, got the GPS new, in it? Which is the new impressive. one has GPS in it, which is great. I mean, it's very clever. There's a, there's a, maybe try and for the show notes, get a, there's a YouTube video which kind of demos it, which is quite interesting because 
Um, maybe this is only if you've got your Sony tablet. I don't know. This might be part of the, the export software. But if you've got multiple cameras running on something, it's interesting. You can actually play back picture in picture, play back multiple cameras all in one, all in sync. Um, yes, it has GPS to do mapping, um, kind of like a lot of those sport watches stuff do where you'll actually, you know, can do your, uh, not just Latin long, but also do your, your altitude if you're climbing and, and will map, map where you, where, yeah. where, whereabouts in the vision, in the point of the vision, you know, you, you were. So that's clever. GPSing it its way as, as it's shooting. Uh, so it's like data logging GPS as it goes. Um, um Probably more of interest if you have a lot of Sony gear, which they're definitely trying to push this and this NFC, this near field communication stuff, which is becoming quite big. Um, if you've, I guess it's kind of like little little local local networky kind of thing, like Bluetooth or, or right. Wi-Fi. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of this in, in in a lot of other devices, and particularly Sony, from communication device to device to, to phone or tablet. Um, it, it one thing it obviously adds now is uh, 25p and 24. P. Uh, these things are still a little bit maddening in terms of their menus, but this is a lot better. It it's it you know has more than one button, it has three buttons I think, um, and a, and a little bit more communicative display than the GoPro. Um, and yeah, to do 120 frames. Uh, one th- one cool little uh, extra for which I think about for 130, 140 bucks or so is it's got this very cool Wi-Fi remote, which is actually a display. You get like a wrist wrist mounted little monitor. That you can put on your, your Velcro to your wrist or wherever you like, and it let you record, uh, do settings on the phone, and actually, it's like a viewfinder, EVF as well, which I think is Wi-Fi. Um, so it's a little bit better, maybe, than some of the other Bluetooth. Bluetooth is is maddening, isn't? Is still a maddening protocol to try and communicate with anything. I think it's very glitchy. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's very cool. About 300, 300 bucks or so. A ton of accessories. They have got a, a shitload of accessories for this thing. Uh, battery chargers, and they've got this very cool little thing for maybe ninety bucks or so, which is actually a, like a little. It's like a, it's like a housing, but you slip it in to this housing, and actually has uh, a flip-out LCD mount, so you can use it like a little handycam, you know, with like a little flip-out mm-hmm. monitor. That's very cool. Um, and I was it's using much my... better in low light um, uh, advantages I guess say over GoPro would be that it has the a bit of steady shot it's electronic steady shot but what it does is I think normally it'll do like 170 degree of view but mm-hmm. then you can if you want to switch the steady shot on it goes to 120 degree uh, view and will it will do still do it 1080 at either of those sizes but I think it will also do 1080. I got the frame rates here. It'll do 1080 at um, at 50 or 60p. So if you want to go slightly slow mo, it'll still do it at full HD, um, and it drops down to 100 uh, 720p to do 120 frames a second. So uh, again, have a bit of a test. I've got a couple of little jobs to chuck it on, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But uh, it's actually thinner and thinner. It's, its dimensions are slightly slightly better and you know slightly thinner it's actually fairly compact compared to something like a contour it's quite a compact little I was about to say little, I was using my deal. GoPro overseas and mm. I, my number one question to you would be is the menu system easier to use than the GoPro because while I love my GoPro there is always some occasion on a trip when I'm using it a lot 
yeah. I just sit there going, can you just press the button? And they press the button. And I go, is it Look, recording? And I go, no, it's no, not you just perfect. Stills mode. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's definitely better than a GoPro because um, you've got like three buttons, like a sort of up-down kind of button. Then you use like the roll button on the back. So it's definitely kind of like like up, down, and or, or like, you know, menu left, right, and then OK. So you definitely have to work out, do I hold that, do I press this one, or do I hit OK? So it's definitely kind of fiddly, but the menu, the, the, the display is a lot, got a lot more information on it, um, and a fair few more icons and things, a little bit easier to read. Um, uh, that, all of that said, um, I do believe GoPro aren't far away from something new so <laughs> I really like my GoPro I, yeah I, 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 I don't I don't mind it but the problem actually I think the problem with um, the GoPro with I think where did I go I'm trying to think of the speeds of the Hero 3 but I think I went as soon as I went down to how is it 50p or I think one of the speeds you get 120 is unusably aliasy it's awful so 120 is fairly un, useless on, on the GoPro on the Hero 3 at least. And I think, yeah, maybe 50 or 60p might be okay, but a lot of these high speeds aren't, you know, there's a lot of options these cameras have that are often quite unusable due to the, you know, the extra cropping and and um, aliasing or, or jello or whatever that comes in, into play. So, anyway, have a little play with this. and uh, yeah, Can should, I do a plug? Uh, on uh, our FXPHD blog, which also appears on the fxguide.com homepage, uh, Tom Gleason and I do a review of the Red Rock uh, Micro Remote Focus System. Ah, yes. Now, that, that you <laughs> seem there was no point in doing something like this as part of the um, RC because clearly you just need to see what Tom's talking about and, and what we're discussing and you want to see how this bit connects to that bit. It's a very sort of physically obviously needed to be visual thing um, which is why we always put these things up as part of our top text review uh, session rather than here on the RC uh, we've done a few of these over time and they've had a very good uh, you know people have really liked seeing mm. them and this one in particular just went up the other day and, and people are enjoying I've been looking forward to seeing this uh, Red Rock Micro um, remote system for some time yeah. I must admit I was hoping to see the full version that included the iPhone clicking into um, a controller but maybe yeah. that's me just wanting to be a gadget. I've got to say, the one that um, we had in the studio, as you'll see in the review... It's the hand remote, which is... You probably agree, Mike. It is really well built. The motor is talky. There's no slop. It's. I think it's an impress... For whatever it is, is now something like three grand or so with the remote and everything, and motor is... Bang for buck, it is bloody impressive, and obviously, and Tom knows that he's he's very he's not going to buy anything. He's 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 got the money to buy whatever system he wants. This is uh, uh, a system he's he's well thought of and well and you know well chosen. I think he's very happy with his with his choice. I'm sure, right? Yeah. So check that out. It's um, Top Tech Red Rock Micro Remote Focus Review. It's on FX Guide's homepage, but actually, it is the FX PhD blog over at FX PhD. Dot com and uh, yeah, it's about I don't know what it is six seven minutes I think is that right? No, it's longer than that. It's about fifteen minutes now. I think about it. We we yeah. aimed to do about six or seven minutes, but actually by the time we got all the bits, it worked out being close to about uh, fifteen or sixteen minutes. But it's uh yeah, it's great to see it, and uh, I certainly enjoy being able to get hands on with this gear and kind of because you can't really judge this stuff, especially when you as you say build quality. Like that's the thing. Like you can look at something or a press release, it's just completely. Mm. 
irrelevant until you actually see how solid it is and whether or not it's got um, lag. Like if there's a bad latency on the follow focus, it's just yeah. in the water and just none of these things you can uh, do unless you sort of can see them. No, I definitely agree. I've got to vote for that. I've definitely, as soon as one, one job wants, as soon as a job I've got will pay for that, I'll, I'm going to grab one as well. Um, particularly with the thumb wheel system. Mm. The thumb wheel remote, I'm not sure if Tom had that. Yeah, we were talked about that and yeah, having it up on the shoulder. That is yep. very beautiful and no matter what lens you have, it will map just a nice natural movement of your finger to the same amount of if it, whether your lens travels 300 degrees or 90 degrees whatever it still maps it to the same amount of travel with your finger so every lens feels the same uh when it comes down to your thumb wheel and yeah i found the build quality for the money is is beyond amazing it's no it's no wonder they uh they can't make enough of them so so yeah, that would impressive. be our that would be our blog recommendation for the week. Uh, I know it's a bit self-serving, but there you go. <laughs> um, and our Twitter follow of the week, I think we should be uh, Vincent Lafayette because uh, Vincent does do an enormous amount of great stuff, and he's just a, such a nice guy. Um, Indeed. So he is at Vincent Lafayette, which I think many of you would know, given that he already has seventy-two thousand followers. Thank you. Uh, he also has a very of, good blog. Like Red, he kind of accelerated the whole. You know, he would himself would agree that he wasn't you know he didn't like give birth to the DSLR revolution but you know he probably has was uh, definitely responsible for accelerating it his original film which was what is it called I mean that one um, Uh, Reverie yeah that was the turning point wasn't it really it was indeed and even then again I think he was battling I think it was manual there's certainly there wasn't a lot of manual controls I think it might have even been automatic uh, exposure I don't think there was a manual manual mode maybe I can't remember I think he certainly had to you know to to make it make it work make make the camera do what we now take for granted um, yeah, whatever that is. I, I think I think I was bemoaning the fact that you know we've been the, the, the gear burnout, and I'd, we've been doing this podcast for such a long time. And he reminded me, yes, it's pretty much. I think Reverie is uh, close to being five years old. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's it for this week. Thanks so much, Jace, for being with us. Thanks you so much, guys, for listening. Uh, Jace, of course, we always like to uh, people direct people to your. Uh, wonderful website and uh, Wingrove.tv or JasonWingrove.com same thing and or and Twitter.com slash Wingrove yes yes and uh, of course you can see Jason's work there and his show don't try going to Wingrove.com however you say that very quickly no it has to be Jason Wingrove yeah .com. I can't get that I don't know whose that is I can't get it Yes, it's some uh, smiling lady who's trying to sell you the URL, I think. Oh, um, but yes, okay. jasonwingrove.com where you can see uh, Jason's work. And, uh, and of course, I'm over at FX Guide and I'm at Mike Seymour on uh, Twitter. And look, you know, it's been, uh, it's been great talking to you, Jace. And uh, Thanks, I know that you suffer from this, uh, this burnout of which you speak. But that it, being said, I think uh, I've always indeed. found I learned something when I talk to you. So thanks. Thanks, Mike. Until next time, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.